You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Amen. Good morning, good morning. How are we doing today? Man, Caden, thank you for sharing your testimony. Wasn't that awesome to get up and do that? Yeah. <laughs> I love seeing what God is doing in people's lives. That very simple act of just saying... Lord, I'm yours. Speak to me. What would you say to me? There's power in the testimony. Let me encourage you that the gospel is often shared through our testimony, through the story of God alive in us. So be thinking about your testimony and going, God, what is my testimony? What is that story that part you've written already and what you are yet to write? Amen? Amen. As we continue to talk about this this morning, we're going to look at uh, the book of 2 John, and we're going to read the entire book today. You ready? 2 John. If you have that, as we today as we talk about truth and love, everyone say truth, truth. and love. love. Love, there we go. Focusing on truth and love, two very important things, two things that are together that that are that are found together. And today we're going to be looking at this as we look at Second John, continuing our summer letter series. And normally I preach from the from the ESV, the English Standard Version, but for today. I want it to, for us to read together from the message version. You ready? You ready to try this out? Let's read this together. This is from the message version. My dear congregation, I, your pastor, love you in very truth. And I'm not alone. Everyone who knows the truth that has taken up permanent residence in us loves you. Let grace, mercy, and peace be with us in truth and love from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, Son of the Father. I can't tell you how happy I am to learn that many members of your congregation are diligent in living out the truth, exactly as commanded by the Father. But permit me a reminder, friends, and this is not a new commandment, but simply a repetition of our original and basic charter, that we love each other, Love means following his commandments, and his unifying commandment is that you conduct your lives in love. This is the first thing you heard, and nothing has changed. There are a lot of smooth-talking charlatans loose in the world who refuse to believe that Jesus Christ was truly human, a flesh-and-blood human being. Give them their true title, Deceiver, Antichrist. And be careful around them so you don't lose out on what we've worked so diligently in together. I want you to get every reward you have coming to you. Anyone who gets so progressive in his thinking that he walks out on the teaching of Christ walks out on God. But whoever stays with the teaching stays faithful to both the Father and the Son. If anyone shows up who doesn't hold to this teaching... Don't invite him in and give him the run of the place. That would just give him a platform to perpetuate his evil ways, making you his partner. I have a lot more things to tell you, but I'd rather not use paper and ink. I hope to be there soon in person and have a heart-to-heart talk. That will be far more satisfying to both you and me. Everyone here in your sister congregation Sends greetings. Isn't that awesome? I don't want to keep using paper and ink. I can't wait to see you. I want to be with you. I want to have a heart-to-heart talk. 
And so today, this heart-to-heart talk that we're going to be digging into, we're going to be looking at three key things that I believe John would have us focused on today. Three key things that are, we're going to be talking about. One, the first thing is that truth results in love. When we talk about truth, the outflow of that is in love. That's the first thing. The second thing is that love results in action because faith without works is dead. Okay, Faith without works is dead. So love results in action. And then the third thing that we're going to wrap this up with this morning is that action, when you're active, you will often face opposition. Isn't that a bummer? (laughs) But when you're active, when you're living out, when you're doing things, you're often going to face opposition, okay? So we're going to talk talk about how truth results in love, and then love results in action, but action often faces opposition. You ready? All right, let's go to the first one. First of all, truth results in love. So when John's talking about truth here, what is John talking about? He's talking about Jesus. What's he talking about? Jesus. There you go. You're like, what's he talking about? Okay. What is truth? It's Jesus. See, Jesus, he called himself truth. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Except through me. So what did Jesus mean when he says, I am the truth? Three key things there. First of all, Jesus was saying that he is God. Jesus is God, and especially as it relates to truth, that means all the omniscient powers and strengths of God that we talked about last week are in that. Omniscient means what? All knowing. Knows everything. He has no teacher. This is the omniscient power of God. He's all knowing. He's the sole possessor of truth because he sees everything from every angle. The past, the present, and the future. This is who Jesus is, so he's God. But there's also the truth of the gospel that is manifested through Jesus. Remember the gospel? Starting all the way back with creation. When we talk about the gospel, we're not just focusing on the cross, but we're looking at the entire plan of salvation, which goes all the way back to creation. Meaning that God made us. This is our identity. It says that God made us in his image. But there was a problem, wasn't there? Because we fell. We rejected God. All of us rejected God. But because of his love, he redeemed us. He sent his one and only son so that none should perish. This was the solution. And now he's restoring us. And we have that future hope of forever spending eternity with God. That's why the gospel means good news. Good news. Are you ready for some good news? <laughs> Great. We get a lot of bad news. This is the good news of the gospel, and this is the, the truth that Jesus is talking about when he says, I am the truth. But we also need to recognize this morning, remember, that this truth is motivated by love. This truth came into existence, the gospel, because of love. It's the most famous verse in the Bible. John three sixteen. For God to love the world that he gave his only son. He gave. It's because of love. See, it is so important to know the truth of Jesus, but it's also important today that we understand the nature of truth. These are the truths, but we need to understand that this truth that we're talking about, it has a couple of key natures in it. And this is where we're going to dig a little bit deep because we're talking about truth. Truth is a big word because after all, what is truth? That's one of the big questions, isn't it? You ask 20 people on the street, what is truth? You might get 20 different answers in that. So here are the natures of truth. And the first one, the first nature of truth is that truth is exclusive. Truth is exclusive. And by that, 
quoting Josh McDowell, that it exists independent of what anyone thinks or feels about it. When we are talking about the exclusivity of truth, it means that it's real whether or not, if it's true, whether or not I agree with it or not, isn't it? Anybody with me or am I alone? <laughs> right? So truth isn't dependent on what I think about it because I'm not God. It's not dependent on what I feel about it or even if I accept it. If it is true, then it's true. One of the truths that we have here on planet Earth is the truth of gravity. Does it, does it mean anything or matter if I agree with it or not? No. Okay? Whether I agree with it or how I feel about it, sometimes I wish it was a little bit lighter. But the truth is there's gravity. Rabbi Zacharias says it this way. He says, truth by definition is exclusive. Everything cannot be true. If everything is true, then nothing is false. And if nothing is false, then it would also be true to say everything is false. We cannot have it both ways. Again, truth by definition is exclusive. Everything cannot be true. If it is, then nothing is false. See, exclusive is a tough word for many of us. Because what do we value? We value inclusion. I value inclusion. See, we are a community that is all about Jesus, and it's all about becoming a community of what? Love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging, right? Or LAFPA. We even made a new word. LAFPA. Love, acceptance, forgiving, and belonging. So how do we kind of reconcile this whole idea of the exclusivity of truth but our nature to be inclusive. Well, first of all, we need to recognize that the gospel is inclusive in invitation, isn't it? The gospel of Christ, it's inclusive in invitation because who does Jesus invite? Everybody. Everybody's welcome. Every nation, every tribe, whoever you are, Jesus says all are welcome. Everyone is invited, and you are welcome here in this body of Christ today. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ was often criticized for his level of inclusivity. See, when Jesus came, the promised Messiah, the leaders of that day, the religious leaders, they thought that he would just be hanging out with them and supporting them and all of their agendas and the things that they had. But they were astonished, and that astonishment even turned to hate because Jesus was known as what? A friend of sinners. He was known as a friend of sinners. To Jesus, there was no longer male or female or rich or poor, Samaritan, Jew, Gentile, whoever you were, Jesus wanted to be your friend. He pulled you in, even in his disciples, the 12 disciples, pretty diverse group, diverse socially, diverse politically. You had zealots in the group that wanted to overthrow Rome, but yet Jesus went out and he called in Matthew, who was a tax collector, who was seen as a sellout, who was actually working for Rome. Get those two people in a room, see what will happen. But Jesus, he pulls them in. See, the gospel is inclusive. An invitation. All are welcome. Inclusive in invitation, but the gospel is exclusive in truth. The gospel is exclusive in truth because what? What did Jesus say? He said there's one way to God. One way to God. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is very exclusive. He's saying there's one way. And that's a big controversy that we have today. How can you say there's one way? How can you say there's one way to God? Aren't there many ways to God? But what Jesus is saying, he's saying, you're all welcome. I love you all. I made you. I saw you before time began. So my invitation to you is to come unto me. 
But the truth is exclusive. It's one way. It's through me because I am the way. I am the truth and the life. Because, see, truth is never compromised. Truth does not accommodate inclusion. Inclusion accommodates the truth. You understand what I'm saying today? Right? Truth does not accommodate inclusiveness because the truth is exclusive. But it invites all to come in. Tim Keller says it this way, and I love how he says it. He says, the gospel is an exclusive truth, but it's the most inclusive, exclusive truth in the world. (laughs) Did you hear that? The gospel is an exclusive truth, but it's the most inclusive, exclusive truth in the world because Jesus comes and says, come on to me, all of you, everybody. But see, Christianity is often criticized for this nature of it, for being exclusive. And it gets pigeonholed as if it was the only idea, the only ideology, the only world belief out there that is exclusive in nature. But in truth, as Ravi Zacharias points out, that all claims are exclusive. All claims, to make a claim, to make a stance and say this is truth, it is exclusive in nature. He goes on to point out that every major religion in the world claims exclusivity, and every major religion in the world has a point in it of exclusion. Ravi Zacharias, growing up in India, knew this. He knew that Hindus believe in two fundamental uncompromising doctrines. It's the law of karma and the belief in reincarnation, and these will not be surrendered. It's exclusive. Buddhism was born out of the rejection of two dogmatic claims of Hinduism. Buddha rejected the authority of the Vedas, which was their Hindu scripture, and the caste system of Hinduism. And Islam has an exclusive claim to God. A Muslim will never tell you that it doesn't matter what you believe or that all religions are true. Now, let me say this this morning. If you're a Hindu this morning, if you're a Buddhist this morning, if you're a Muslim this morning, whatever religion you are, you're welcome here. I'm glad you're here. (laughs) Because all are welcome. We're inviting you in. But all of these religions, all of these claims, all these things, at some point, there's an exclusive nature. Because truth, when you say this is truth, it's exclusive. Here's one truth. It is truth that I'm married. I like that I put a ring on it, okay? I'm married. So that means I have a very exclusive relationship with my wife and her with me to the glory of God. Even when it's tough, I'm committed to her and she's committed to me. It's tougher for her than me, but that's the commitment we've made. This is what truth does. And even if you reject all religions and all religious beliefs, this in itself, that act of rejecting, is an exclusive statement. See, whatever your truth is, the question is not, are you exclusive? The question is, what do you believe? Are you hanging with me today? Going a little deep here this morning, okay? Welcome to Sunday morning church. Here we are, talking about truth. And there's a lot more that could be said, but I think the point that we need to harvest in on this morning is that when you make a claim saying this is truth, that very nature of it is exclusive in nature. But with the gospel, it says you are welcome. Jesus invites everyone to come and to know this truth. That's the first nature. The first nature of truth is that all truth, truth is exclusive. 
But the second nature of truth that John points out in this is that he points out that truth takes over us. When we receive this truth, it takes over us. And what John says here in verse 2, he says that the truth, it takes up permanent residence in us. When we receive the truth of Christ, the truth of the gospel, it takes up permanent residence in us. It's our house. See, truth, it transforms us. It takes over us. It comes in, and truth is now in charge. Whatever you believe, whatever you stand on there, it takes residence, and it's now in charge like a house. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says that we are his temple. It says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? This is the very nature. When you take on this truth, when you receive the power of God, his spirit now dwells in you, and now you are his temple. It's your house. It's your house. And the Bible even goes on and says that we were made in the image of God, that you are a masterpiece. So your house is a masterpiece. It's nothing like HDTV. That's just down here. Your house is a masterpiece because the spirit of God is alive in you, is resonant in you. And in this book that we're looking at, And through it all scripture, we find out that being filled with the truth of Jesus, it will always result in love when we are filled with him because the whole motivation behind it, Jesus' motivation was love. It was because of love. The purpose and the motivation, it always comes through. You may be able to hide your motivation for something for a little while, but after a while, whatever motivates you, it's going to come through. And with Jesus, his motivation for you was love. It was to rescue you. He loved you. He said, this is the truth. I made you. I created you. You rejected me. But even on the night that I'm betrayed, I'm going to come out and say, don't forget, I've made a way for you. I love you. I want you to come back to me. I want to restore you. The truth is exclusive, but the invitation is exclusive. Everybody come in. Everybody come in. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want that? See, love was what Jesus was always reminding his disciples about. And even questioned, what is the greatest commandment? They thought they were quoting him. He said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Thinking they could trick him. And what did he say? His first word was what? Love. Love. His first word was love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, soul, and strength. And the second, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, but if you love God, you're going to love your neighbor. This is it. This is the greatest commandment. See, truth results in love. But when we love, love will always result in action. Because love, as Bob Goff says, love does. Love does something. Love will always come out. There will always be evidence of love. And see, true love is responsive because John's saying here, you're living out this truth. See, there will always be proof of life. Things that are alive in us will have evidence you follow me for very long, you're going to know what I love. I love my wife. I love my family. I love my friends. I love coffee. I love sushi. I love hockey. There's a lot of things in my life that are naturally going to come out. And that's just a few of the things. There will be evidence. And even as we did in our James study, the book of James, one of the key verses in there was, was what? Faith without works is dead. There's going to be works. When he's alive in you, it's going to come out. And John in here, he's saying that this is not new. He says, he says, permit me a reminder, friends. And this is not a new commandment, but simply a repetition of our original and basic charter that we love each other. Love means following his commandments. 
And as we say this over and over and over again, love is the key theme throughout the whole Bible. This is evident. And I've quoted before from the theologian Schaefer who said, the theme of the entire Bible is the self-revelation of a God of love. And then Jesus said it like this. He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we talk about love a lot. And we say it a lot. We say it to our kids as they go through the door. We say it to our friends, unless it creeps them out, and they're like, what? We say it a lot. So why do we need this reminder? Why does this keep coming up? Why all through Scripture are we seeing this word? Well, we need this because love is a very confusing word for us, isn't it? Has someone ever said love to you, and you're kind of confused by it? Like, what does this mean? See, love for us is often equated with what we receive, what we get, instead of what we give. When we think about loving something, we think about what we're going to get from it, don't we? I love that because this is what it's going to do for me. See, love has been commercialized and it's been repackaged for consumption. And love often means that it means that you agree with me or that you receive me or it gives me these good emotions. I feel good about myself. I feel affirmed. I feel empowered. But this is a consumeristic view. I'm buying something because of what it can do. It's a vending machine relationship. See, love, when we look at Scripture, and don't get me wrong, we get a lot of things from love. But here's what, how Scripture frames it in. Love is about giving, and you see this consistently. Whether it's for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, talking about how God gave, or whether we look at the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, the first word used to describe love, it says love is patient. Patient. Now, patience is normally something that you need to lead the way in giving, isn't it? Right? Love is patient. See, patient is all about what we offer to the other person, not often what we give ourselves. Though, you do need to be patient with yourself. How many of you got to be patient with yourself? I've got a whole list of things where God's saying, Dwayne, just be patient with yourself. It's a process here, okay? But case in point, it's about what we give. Just look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7. Here's what it says. And tell me if these are about giving or receiving. It says, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. That's about me. It is not arrogant. That's all about me. Or rude, because that's all about me and how I respond. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It rejoices in truth. This is what love does. Love, it bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Why? Because love never fails. Love never fails. See, all of these, they talk about how we give. And it's saying it's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't seek your own way. And in 2 Peter 3, it says, it says this important verse. And I believe this verse is specifically for some of you today. Are you going through a hard time today? Do you have questions? Here's what 2 Peter says. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, sometimes we mistake what we perceive to be the slowness of God as really patience. Have you ever prayed for something? And it didn't come, and it didn't come, and you say, why, God? And then down the road, you're like, oh, thank God you didn't give that to me. Or thank God it didn't go the way that I was praying for. See, God's love is perfect. He sees all. He knows all. But this kind of points out the fact that love sometimes involves pain. Love hurts. Love bites. It's not, uh-huh. <laughs> I got the big amen from that one, didn't I? <laughs> love involves pain sometimes. Sometimes love is tough. If you've been in a loving relationship for any length of time, have you ever experienced pain in that loving relationship? It's okay. Your spouse or significant other, they'll forgive you, hopefully. Well, sometimes love is painful. Has it ever been painful for you, Stephanie? Yes. <laughs> right? It involves pain sometimes and not just relationally. And this is often the confusing part for many of us as it relates to the love of God. See, love is often equated with the absence of pain and suffering and sadness and loneliness. And sometimes when all this comes in, we get confused. But I want to remind you of this this morning. This is a quote from Nancy DeMoss. Let's read this together. True joy is not the absence of pain, but the sanctifying, sustaining presence of the Lord Jesus in the midst of the pain. Anybody testify to that this morning? I think sometimes we walk through times when we're dealing with real hard things like depression, loneliness, rejection, physical pain, all of these things. And we get confused by it because we say, God, where are you? Have you ever said that? Where are you? If you ever look up to the heavens and say, God, where are you? This is not fair. This is not right. I want you to know you're standing in good company today. (laughs) Because when you look at the Bible, you see these great men and women of God that when we look at them, we would look at them and say, if anyone walked with God, it was these people. Some of the people that experienced some great pain in their life were people like Abraham, Joseph, Deborah, Ruth, Esther, Job, David, the disciples, Paul, and Jesus. What did Jesus say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do we remember that? So when you find yourself in that position, and you're saying that, you're surrounded with a crowd of witnesses going, I've been there. I've been there. Those who battled loneliness and depression were people like Elijah, Jonah, Moses, Jonah, Jeremiah, and the Psalms are filled with songs of despair. Look through the Psalms. There's, there's all these Psalms about joy and hope and peace and all these things that are amazing, but it also talks about words like downcast, brokenhearted, troubled, miserable, despairing, and mourning among others. Start your Facebook post or Twitter off with that in the morning. These are tough words, but they came from very tough circumstances. But the key in all this is it's not about the absence of God. Now, there are sometimes I do very stupid things, and I inflict pain on myself. I've made some bad decisions. 
But even then, when I call out to God, is God quick to answer? Yes, he answers with his presence coming in. And even times when I'm praying through and I'm saying, God, I don't feel your presence. God's saying, dig deeper, Dwayne. Stay in there, Dwayne. Look what I'm going to do in your life. Are you willing to stay here longer? How long are you willing to seek me? How long are you willing to call me up? This is the voice of God strengthening us, preparing us, leading us. And when we don't understand, we go, God, you are God. Do I have all the answers? No. That should have been a big no. Okay? I don't have all the answers. But our Heavenly Father does. And He cares. And He walks with us through this valley of death. Because true joy is not the absence of pain, but the sanctifying, sustaining presence of the Lord Jesus in the midst of pain. I've sat across from some wonderful people who followed God all of their life. And they've gone through deep pain. And they've walked through it, and now they're reflecting and telling about it. And know what every one of them has told me as I've sat down with them? They talk about the sweet presence of Jesus that came in. The power of Jesus in the middle of their pain. It may not have been there the way they wanted it or when they want it, but it was there. It was there. It was there. This is the power of God in this. But we need to not let the voice of the enemy to come in and say, God doesn't care. He's not there. We need to lift our eyes and say, God, I know you're there. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me, God, as I walk through this. Because John also, he talks about the power that love has to unify us. To unify us. Love is the unifying commandment in all of this. The unification of our heart with God and saying, Lord, I believe you. But he's also saying as a community, as a body of believers, as church family today, unity is vital in who we are and in what we do. He said, this is the first thing you heard, and nothing has changed. Psalm 133 says, behold how good and pleasant it is when we gather together in unity. Perfect harmony. Colossians says, above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. See, as a body of believers, we need to be unified together. And this takes commitment. Because when things are going good, it's easy. When everything's just kind of rolling the way we thought it to, awesome, I'm in. But when things get hard, we need to come together and to find out the power of love, bringing us together, unifying us, so that God will use us in the midst of that to be his light to the generation that we're in, to the world that we're in, and to each other, encouraging each other. When the body of Christ is working together as Jesus intended, it is what Erwin McManus calls an unstoppable force. No one can stop it. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? But it's about being unified in God, and there's nothing like it. That's been my experience. I love the body of Christ. I love the church. Whatever you want to call it, I love it. Is it perfect? No. Have I been hurt by it? Yes. Because people are here. It's the reality of it. Have you ever hurt anybody in your life? No? I've hurt people before. I've had to go to people and say, I am sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you. When I was a kid, I had to go to people and went, I'm sorry for hurting you. I meant to hurt you, but I'm sorry for it. That was wrong. I shouldn't have meant that. If we're honest, I think all of us would say, yeah, I've, I've, I've hurt people. I've done stupid things. I've said things to my kids, and I'm like, I hope that doesn't mess you up forever. <laughs> Daddy's sorry. You know, 
It's, that's the reality. The difference here, we're going to come together, and there's times that we're going to mess up and times we're going to say things, but the difference is we can turn to each other and I can say, let's bring this to God. Let's walk this out with God. Let's give forgiveness to one another, and let's allow Jesus to come in and speak healing and to restore this. Because there are some relationships, as we get down to that level of brokenness, apart from God coming in and pouring in His Spirit, there's no hope. It takes that commitment. And when we act in that way, it is an unstoppable force. Because it is what everyone is hungry for. They're hungry for a family. They're hungry for a place where they can come in and be loved, accepted, forgiven by Christ, and belong. They may not know all those things yet, but that's how we were made. That's how God made us, our creator. It's in the instruction manual right here. It says everything about it. This is how we were made. If we can operate like that, being quick to ask forgiveness, loving each other, having that motive, it is unstoppable. And that brings us to the last point this morning. That when this does it, it leads to action. But when we act in this way, it's going to face opposition. Have you ever tried to do something good and not been opposed? Have you ever tried to step out like, man, I'm trying to do something good here. Why am I being opposed here? Why is this happening? Why are these things happening? See, action attracts attention. When you're doing something, when you're stirring the water... It's going to attract a lot of attention by those who will oppose you. Exhibit A is Shark Week. Have you seen Shark Week? Have you heard of sharks? <laughs> okay. They're real. When there's action in the water, when you go in an area where there's sharks, and you start getting in and, and just start splashing around, sharks are going to go up and say, huh, that sounds like a dinner bell to me. They will show up. When there's blood in the water, they will show up. You want to see some crazy things? Go on YouTube and watch how Bear Grylls showed up on Shark Week. He did some crazy things. And he's okay. Action will always attract opposition. See, energy in the water, it brings in predators. It brings in those that would seek to take the good and use it for themselves. To seek to destroy. It even says that the enemy... Is, is roaming like a lion, seek whom he may destroy. And in that, I love how Verlin Fosner said it, that the Bible says he's roaming like a lion. He's not a lion. He's pretending to be a lion, but he's roaming the fullest into thinking that he's like a lion. Because, see, there will always be opportunists. And here John calls them smooth-talking charlatans. What a word, charlatan. I love how Eugene Peterson interpreted that. Smooth-talking charlatans. See, there is no threat when you're doing nothing. You just sit around and do nothing. You're a threat to nobody. But things of value are always envied. There will always be that envious nature. And they want to be stolen and taken. And John points out the deceiver's key tactic here. And the deceiver's key tactic is to minimize Christ. Because if he can minimize Christ in your life, he wins. That's why Christ in my life, he must decrease, and I must decrease. Christ increase, I need to decrease. It is but exalting the Lord our God. He says anyone who gets so progressive in their thinking that they walk out on the teaching of Christ, they walk out on God. It costs us. 
We can never allow Christ to be minimized. Never allow Christ to be minimized. He is exalted. He is our Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. And that's why John comes in and he gives us a response. And the first way that he shows us to respond is to identify the attack. He identifies the attack and he gets up and he says, Deceiver! Antichrist! Pretty big words, aren't they? Get up in a crowd and go, Deceiver! Not, not right now. He, but he's saying identify the attack. Why? Because you need to be protective from those that would seek to destroy that's why he brings in this protective language and he says, don't invite him in. Don't give him run of the place. That would just give them a platform to perpetuate, it, perpetuate his evil ways, making you his partner. Now see, John is addressing the church here. He's saying, don't give him a platform. If they're a deceiver, don't even invite him in. But sometimes we invite the deceiver in here, don't we? And we allow the deceiver to have run of this place of this place. That's why we need to identify what's happening. When there's deception, we can't play with it. There's deception going on. You address it. Because even if it doesn't involve this, it gets here. Have you ever been deceived? Have you ever allowed something to come in your heart that you just mull over and mull over and it starts destroying you and destroying you? And John's saying, call it out. It's deceptive. It is wrong. It is destructive. Don't give them run of the place, whether it's our place of gathering or whether it's in your own heart, in your own head. Call it out. Call it out. But I feel like this morning I need to issue this little side note to that. We need to be careful not to misidentify an attack. You know what I'm saying? Don't misidentify an attack. The sky isn't falling everywhere. <laughs> If someone comes up and disagrees with you, you can't go, deceiver! <laughs> You're deceptive! Everything is not about deception. But there are key times, but we need to be very, very careful in this. See, there's a difference in someone who is a seeker and someone who is a deceiver. See, a seeker is someone, they're looking for truth. They're looking where they should stand. And with people that were really trying to find the truth, asking hard questions, asking questions that even you don't know, or maybe a question that's threatening to you, feels a little shaky. Do you know how Jesus responded to people like that? He spent a lot of time. He had a lot of patience. He said, I'm going to your house today. It's the equivalent of going, that's a great question. Why don't you buy me a cup of coffee and we'll talk it over. We're going to spend some time together today. We're going to talk about it. It's spending that patience because love is patient. But when it was a deceiver, two different people. And the Greek word there means deceiver, seducer, leading in error, corrupter, imposter. What did Jesus do? He called them out. He did not hesitate to call out someone who was a deceiver. He called them out and he identified them. Because when your heart is turned to that place of you're just trying to deceive, you're just trying to get your way, you're just trying to do what's going on, that is something that can destroy the body of Christ. That is something that is harmful to others. And he calls it out and he calls them to repentance. He calls them to repentance. But we need to be, be careful in that. Because there's a responsibility and accountability with that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay? Because there's some places where the sky is falling, but it's not falling everywhere. 
So we need the Holy Spirit to be alive in us, to lead us, to guide us. He will direct us in all truth. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this brings us down to the last thing today as the worship band comes. He's saying, live out the truth. Our response in all this is to live out the truth. What does John say? He says, follow his commandments. John, for 2 John 1, 6. See, when he says this, John is referencing the first love commandment that Jesus said. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Jesus said, love everybody. This is the response. In all of our life, we have some people that are easy to love, don't we? And we have some people that are hard to love. Don't point at them, okay? For some of us, we gather here today and we go, all these people, very easy to love. But when I go out there, very hard to love. And for some of us today, we're like, the people out there, the people at work, very easy to love. <laughs> but in here, Pastor Wayne, man, this is hard on me. <laughs> it's hard to love here. And that's the truth, isn't it? And for me, it's, it's gone both ways over my life. There have been times when the people here have been easy to love. I'm not talking about just Shoreline Community Church. I'm talking about wherever I've gathered together. And sometimes it's been difficult. And the same thing at places that I've worked or places where I've hung out. Sometimes it's been easy to love them and sometimes it's been difficult to love them. But does that change what love is? No. Because my, my family would say the same thing. Sometimes dad's easy to love and sometimes he's hard to love. But how hard or how easy it is has nothing to do with love because love is what? Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't seek its own way. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's the love of Christ being manifested alive in us because that's who we're called to be. That's why Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You turn on a light and it's there. And sometimes it hurts because you've been in darkness so long and it makes you squint a little bit to adjust to it. But when you open your eyes, you go, see today. Look what's here. And my encouragement to you today is that as we respond to this aspect of truth and love, there's a lot in there, that you would say, Lord, reveal to me your truth today. And the love that floats from it, let it be active in my heart. The listening guide has lots of questions that you can take and process through now. Or you can take them home and read them through. But as we just close with this song today, just a few questions that I would highlight for you is one, am I confident in the truth of Christ in my life? Am I confident in that love? How God defines love, not how I define love. Am I confident in it? And then where is the love of Christ evident in my life? Are there aspects about the love of Christ that confuse me? Areas you struggle with loneliness, unanswered, whatever it may be. I want to remind you of the words that we heard several weeks ago, that in the midst of your pain, and I echo his words, if I could just encourage you today to take that pain, that loneliness, whatever it is, and just turn to Jesus and begin to press in. 
cast all of our care on him, and that's a hard process. Turn to him. Keep turning to him. Would you stand with me today? As we sing this song today, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come around the side. And if you need help in just taking that pain and saying, man, I just need you to, can you just pray with me today? <laughs> it's tough. Or for any reason, maybe you're seeking God for something today and you feel like you've just been hitting a wall. These are people who, they've been praying for you. They've been seeking God. Go and talk to them or turn to your neighbor or just respond somehow <laughs> in some way. Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the love <laughs> behind it. Help us today to have ears that will hear and a life that will walk, walk it out, listening to you and seeking you. Amen. Let's, let's take a moment to respond to this truth today.